I appreciate that. We'll take your Bible, go to Philemon. Only has one chapter, and um, you'll find Philemon at the end of those pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. Philemon is where we'll be this morning. And um, I appreciate that good song. And that, that song comes right out of this passage. In fact, if I didn't know better, I would think Mrs. Judy took a look to see what I was preaching this morning. And um, did you look to see what I was preaching this morning? I even had the lyrics to that song written down so I could read it to go along with the message today. So I believe I'm where I'm supposed to be today. If you remember going through the book of Philemon, um, we ended up last time in verse number 11, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. And that was just a statement made about Onesimus, this runaway servant, that in the time past he was unprofitable, but now he's profitable because he's been born again. You know, going to church is a good thing, but getting born again really changes your life. And... Um, and the Bible's very clear here. If you look what the Bible says in the next few verses, this is where I want to be today. Verse 12, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him that is mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be, as it were, of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore as a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self. Besides, Let's pray one more time. Lord, thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture. And I pray, God, today that you would help us to have our minds and our hearts open to the truths that are here. But, Lord, more than anything, we want to say thank you today for taking all the filth, all the sin, all the, all the stains, all the wrong things about our life and removing them from our account and putting them on Jesus and letting him pay for those at Calvary. And, Lord, thank you that we didn't just get our sins paid for <laughs> but we also got the righteousness of Jesus Christ as well. And we thank you for that, Lord. And um, we ask you now to please bless as we try to preach your word and enable us to help your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, I've made up my mind the title of the message is A Friend of Sinners. I think if you were to stop and, and, and work through your thought processes about Paul and Onesimus, that he meets Onesimus in jail. And he must have befriended him because he led him to Christ. So while he's in jail, Paul is being a friend to Onesimus, a runaway servant, a man who probably, who probably has done some things that he is going to have to go back and face. And while he's there, he strikes up some kind of friendship and conversation with Onesimus, and it leads to salvation. And I'm reminded how that he did the same thing with the Philippian jailer. In fact, Paul spent enough time in jails that he probably made a lot of friends inside the jail cells. 
And I know there would be people that probably would take issue with that. But I, I want to read, I, I read this verse this morning in my daily Bible reading. Paul said when he was before Agrippa on trial in Acts 26, by the help of God that he had continued witnessing both to small and to great. You know, there are some people that feel like that they only ought to witness to people that are below them. In other words, people that maybe aren't threatening to them or maybe that are very poor. And many times you find churches that really they focus on the very poor areas of the city. But, but I think we also ought to focus on the wealthy areas of the city. In fact, I would say this. I think you ought to be able to tell somebody that's wealthy about Jesus just like somebody that's poor about Jesus. You ought to be able to tell somebody inside a jail cell that Jesus died for them just like you would at somebody that's sitting down at the ball game down in Clemson at Death Valley. Jesus died for them as well. And all I'm saying is Paul said, I'm just determined. I am going to witness to both small and great. And I think some people probably took issue with that. Because here's this runaway servant. He had to be guilty of something to be put in jail. He got caught. He got imprisoned. So, Paul, what are you doing talking to somebody like that? Don't you understand what kind of character that man has? You know, they said the same thing about Jesus Christ. The Bible's very plain. Jesus Christ is called the friend of sinners. I think we ought to all be glad that he was the friend of sinners. They didn't like that. The religious people of the day did not like the fact that he ate with publicans and sinners, that he would sit down and have a meal with somebody who was known to be a sinner, who had a, a, a horrible lifestyle. And I'm just going to say this morning, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. If you, listen, if you don't have a friend in the world, you've got a friend in Jesus Christ. I don't, I don't care what your condition is spiritually. I don't care what your condition is socially or, or financially. I'm telling you right now, Jesus proved how good a friend he was by laying his life down for us. And, and listen, friends are so easily bought and added on Facebook and so many other places. I'm, I'm telling you, Jesus is not that kind of friend. Jesus is a friend that laid down his life for you. For you. Not just the world. He died for you. He hung on that cross for you. He allowed them to spit in his face for you. He took the stripes for you. He did that because he loved you. And I'm going to tell you what, that's the kind of friend, that's the kind of friend you need right there. Philemon, Philemon has this runaway servant, and Paul undoubtedly makes a friend. And then he leads him to Jesus Christ. Well, if you look, that changed his position. We've already seen this. But look, he sends him back, verse 12, whom I have sent again. So Paul tells Onesimus, you go back to Philemon. You go back to him and you're going to go back home. I know you got things to face, but you're going to go back home. And he, he asked Philemon, verse 12, to receive him that is mine own bowels. In other words, receive him like a son. We, we looked at that down in verse 10. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus. In the faith, he led him to Christ. I don't know if you know the concept that people use sometimes about how that people have children in Christ and grandchildren in Christ. You may not ever be able to have children this side of heaven, but if you lead somebody to Christ in the faith, that could be your child. You could have grandchildren that way. I have some friends of mine, they delight over the number of grandchildren and great-grandchildren they had. One of them, he got so excited one time, he called me, he said, he said, Joel, I just want you to know that one of the guys I led to Christ, he led this guy to Christ, and that guy led somebody to Christ. He says, I'm a great-grandpa. 
was excited about that. Excited about that. And that's only through the Gospels. He said, accept him as my son. Again, a runaway servant. Receive him as my son. But then look at it just a little bit farther down. Look at verse 16. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved. Receive him like a brother now. Philemon, don't look at this man as just a servant. Look at him as a brother. You know, I'm glad I can say this morning, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what education certificates you have hanging on the wall. It doesn't matter whether you're from the northern United States or the southern United States or if you're from other parts of the world. If you're born again, you and I, we are in the same family. We have the same father. And he's saying, receive him now, not as a servant, as a brother. I like the term brother. We, we call people brother and sister around here. That's a good thing to say because it's biblical. We're part of the same family if you've been born again. Now, if you hadn't been born again and you're just a member of the church, that doesn't make you a brother or sister in Christ, and it definitely doesn't make God your father. You can be a Baptist and still be outside the family of God, but you can't be born again and be outside the family of God. So he said, receive him as a brother. And then look what he says next. Then he says in verse 17, if thou count me therefore as a partner, receive him as myself. He said, Philemon, I want you to look at this runaway servant, Onesimus. You treat him like you would treat me. I want you to look at him like you would look at me. That is, that is the position that Onesimus has. He's no longer just a runaway servant, but he's a son. He's a brother. He is, he is be accepted just like the Apostle Paul. And you say, why is that a big deal? Well, it's a big deal for a number of reasons. There are a lot of religions that teach you have to do something to be accepted by God. You have to keep the Ten Commandments. I, I think keeping the Ten Commandments is a good thing. It would probably be good if the Ten Commandments were hanging in every courthouse in the land. It'd probably be a good thing if the Ten Commandments were still hanging on the walls at the schoolhouse. Right. But you can keep the Ten Commandments, and that's not going to make you accepted in the eyes of God. You, you can live a life, and you can abstain from many things. I, I remember when I was in Burma, and I went to a, uh, I went to a, a pagoda, the, the Shui Dagon Pagoda, and I watched them worship Buddha. And these monks would take and live a very, very meager lifestyle. One set of clothes, no shoes on their feet didn't have any money with them, depended on other people to give to them. And, and listen, they lived a very, they tried to get rid of all lust. They, they said that lust is the problem that the world has. And if we can get rid of lust, then we can get rid of all the problems. And so they lived a very meager life. And you know, you could abstain from liquor, which I think is a good choice. You could abstain from marijuana, and I think that's a good choice. You could never beat your children or beat your husband or beat your wife or beat your dog, and that's a good choice. But I'm telling you right now, good works will not get you into heaven. That will not gain the approval of God. The only way you can be approved of God, are you listening to me, church? The only way you can be approved of God is through Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6 says, He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. In other words, Jesus Christ, by his redemption through his blood and by the forgiveness of sin and by the riches of his grace, Jesus Christ made you and I acceptable in God's eyes. I didn't make me acceptable. Jesus made me acceptable. And Paul 
is telling Philemon, hey, Philemon, I want you to know that Onesimus is now part of our family, should be treated like a brother, treat him like myself on my behalf. Hey, hey, I'm glad. Are you listening? I'm glad that Jesus made a way for you and I. That's why we are so strong in saying you can't get to heaven by your works or your religion or your baptism or being a Baptist or a Methodist or a Presbyterian or a Mormon or whatever else you want to add in there. You only get accepted by God by going through Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. That's the position that this runaway servant has now because he's been born again. How many of y'all glad you got access to God now? Right. Got access to God. But then if you look, I want to preach about Jesus being a friend of sinners, and Paul was definitely a friend. If you look there in verse 17, look, look what kind of friend he is. Verse 17, if thou count me therefore as a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, Put that on mine account. Great picture. Think about this. Onesimus' actions. He had done wrong to Philemon. He owed him something. Did he steal money on the way out? Perhaps. He owed Philemon something. And Paul said, listen, Philemon... I want you to understand that Onesimus may have offended you, but I, Paul, am going to pay for his wrongdoings. I'm going to make certain that the responsibility rests on me. How many of you think that's a pretty good friend? In fact, let me ask you this. How many of you don't like friends that don't pay you back and don't give you money they owe you? Yeah. You have a problem, you have a problem thinking about them, don't you? In fact, I'm messing up your service right now because in your mind, somebody just came into your mind. Yeah, that guy owes me $400. He hasn't given me a dime and he, he won't even answer my phone call. Yeah. Well, this is just the opposite of that. This is a runaway servant that has wronged Philemon. But Paul says, Philemon, I am going to pay his bill. You know, the same thing was true of us. Are you listening to me this morning? You and I offended the God of heaven. I know some people don't think that they offended God because they think that God is a God of love. I'm telling you that God is a God of love, but he's also a holy God. He is a righteous God. He's the one that wrote that a man should not take the name of God in vain. He's the one that wrote that you weren't supposed to steal, that you weren't supposed to kill. He's the one that wrote that you should not commit adultery. God wrote those things. He said, this is the way I want you to live. And when you live in contrary fashion to what's in the Bible, then you offend God. So we offended God. And you know what happened for us? The Baptist church didn't step in. Hey, hey, are you listening to me? Jesus stepped in and said, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take full responsibility for all their wrongdoings. I'm going to take full responsibility for their debt. I'm going to pay their debt for them. I'd say that's a pretty good friend, wouldn't you? I mean, it's one thing if somebody owes you $1,000. Anybody owe you $1,000? I mean, it'd be one thing if somebody came and took your prized possession. When I was in Alabama, they had these things called Longaburger baskets. Anybody know what those are? All I know is they are baskets that cost way too much money. But they are collector's items. 
I saw in the saw in the paper that some folks were in a liquor store, which is the wrong place to be, and uh, they were looking in a case that was under key. And under key, they said, uh, "Is this really bottle right here really worth forty-two hundred dollars?" And uh, they said, "That that that's what it's worth." So they said, "Can we look at that?" And they opened it up and they grabbed it and they took it and they ran out the door with it. Thought they'd stolen something from somebody that was going to be of worth. Only to find out, it was an empty bottle. Yeah. You know, somebody steals something from you, it bothers you. Paul is saying, I'm going to pay Onesimus' debt. I'm going to pay it. How much bigger debt did you and I have than taking something or taking God's name in vain? Come on. How many times did you take God's name in vain before you got saved? How many times did you let your heart be filled with filthiness of this world, the wickedness? How many times did words come out of your mouth and actions come from your, your person that hurt other people and offended God? There may be somebody here. There may have been a time that you took and you didn't shake your fist at God, but you didn't care about a Bible. You didn't, you didn't care about church. Everybody at church was a hypocrite. You didn't want anything to do with it. Talk bad about preachers. Talk bad about missionaries. Talk about how it's just a bunch of brainwashed folks. Hey, but you know what? God forgave you of all that just like uh, hey, are you lit? just like Paul was going to pay for Onesimus' debt, Jesus paid all your debt. All your debt. I'm talking about the things that people don't know about you. Jesus paid that debt. What a friend. What a friend. That's why we write songs and sing songs, what a friend we have in Jesus. No better friend than that. No better friend. Look, look there at what he says there in verse number 19. He says, he says, I will repay. Paul says, listen, not only do you put it on my account, but I am going to pay for that. Great truth of imputation we're not going to go into this morning. But he says, I'm going to repay. I'm going to preach about that tonight. I'm not going to preach about that this morning. But what I do want to understand, I want you to take, if you would, put, put a little mark right there and grab Luke chapter 10 just a minute. Luke chapter 10. So put a little mark there in Philemon. Go to the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 10. And what I'm saying is that Jesus Christ steps in and he pays our debt. All the wrongs that we have committed, he takes care of those. And the picture is that Paul does the same thing for Onesimus. He says, I'm going to take care of your debt. I'm going to correct the wrong. And it reminds me in Luke chapter 10 of a story that I know you're familiar with. The Bible says in Luke chapter 10 that a man in verse number 30 is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he falls among thieves. They stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, he's not dead, but he's naked. He's been beaten. He's been robbed. And he is laying on the ground. He, he can't stand. He can't get up. He can't help himself. He's laying there and he's breathing, but he's not breathing well. Because he has fallen among thieves and they have they have taken and destroyed his life. I'm, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you, the devil is also a thief. He's also a robber. He's also a liar. The devil will destroy your life. He'll destroy your life. 
And the Bible goes on to say that these men walk by, a priest walks by and passes on the other side, a Levite, he comes and looks at him and he passes on the other side. Verse 33, a Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was. Boy, I'm glad I had a Savior that came down to where I was. And the Bible says when he saw him, so he looked at him, that he had compassion on him, he cared about him. This Samaritan looks on this man that's half dead and he cares about that man to the point that he comes to where he is. But look at the next thing. Oh my, this is exactly where we are in Philemon. That he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. He starts binding this man up. He starts taking and and using his resources, the oil that he has, the wine that he has as an antiseptic. He wraps up all these wounds. He's trying to help the man. Then look what else it says. The Bible says that, he's, that he set him on his own beast and brought him to an end. He said, listen, you, you can't walk. Let me, let me set you on this. I'm going to get off where I was riding. I'm going to let you ride now. And now he's riding along and he's got been bound up, but he's in such bad condition and he takes care of him. Look what, look what verse 35 says. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. He said, this man's bill is my bill. Hey, can I ask you a question? How many of you were half dead when Jesus found you? Couldn't help yourself. Now, I know we have some young people here. You don't have a clue what drugs are. You don't have a clue what alcohol is. And you know what I'd say to that? Praise the Lord for that. You're not missing out on anything. You're not going to be well-rounded by finding out about alcohol. You're not going to be well-rounded by finding out about immorality before you get married. You'd be better off to stay pure until you get married. You'd be better off to stay pure in your mind and leave all that stuff off. But listen, there's a lot of us in here. I know there are. There's some of us in here. We were filthy, dirty, and half dead and couldn't help ourselves, but we had a friend that came to where we were. We had somebody that took their time to come to where we were and then used their resources. Hey, I'm glad God, listen, God has more grace than you have sin. You get out there and sin is abounding, grace much more abounds. I'm, hey, are you listening to me? I've got a God who's got more grace than you have sin. And he pulls that out and he's using it. And he says, whatever he owes, when I come back, I'm going to pay it. It's my bill. That's a pretty good friend, wouldn't you say? That's a pretty good friend. I think we've got a good friend in Jesus. Got a good friend in Jesus. Go back to Philemon. And I want to just give you about four other quick things and we'll be done. It's a great picture of Paul being a friend Onesimus. Great picture of Jesus being a friend to sinners. And I want you to leave this morning... When I say he's a friend of sinners, how does that, how does that actually work? How, how could you describe what's his friendship really like? Well, the first thing is this. If you just write this down, that Jesus was a friend because he took our sins. He took our sins. <laughs> how many of you do not like to take out the trash? How many of you get aggravated when somebody else doesn't take out the trash? Trash smells bad. How many of you don't like to clean up vomit? Anybody here a sympathetic puker like me? 
I see it or I smell it, I'm joining. I can't do it. So what do you do, just leave it there? No, you better find somebody else to get it taken care of. You know the filth that Jesus took away from us was something that he did with clean hands, a clean heart, and a clean mind. And yet the Bible says there in 1 Peter chapter 2 that he bare our sins in his own body on the tree. He let the filth of this world and the filth of you and I, your filth, my filth, he let that filth be put on top of him. He carried that. He took that. He did it in our place. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad I got a Savior that didn't say, I'm not stepping that far. I'm not going to pay for that sin. That's over the line. That's too deep. That's too dark. That's too dirty. I'm, gl I'm glad he paid for all the sin of the world. He took it all. He bore it all. In the Old Testament, great picture. I can't remember where I preached it last. But in the Old Testament, those men and women would come and they would bring a sacrifice, maybe a calf or maybe they would bring a lamb. And they would take and they would come and they would put their hand on top of the head of that animal. And the symbolism was what I'm doing is I'm guilty and I'm transferring my guilt to this animal. This animal that's innocent, this animal that hadn't done anything. This animal, this animal that is going to be sacrificed is going to be sacrificed for my wrong and my error, and I'm putting my hand on it. And then they would take that lamb, and they would slay that lamb. That blood would be poured out, and then it would be taken and prepared, and it would be offered in sacrifice. And that would be the atonement for their sin, the payment for their sin, or at least it would cover it. And I'm telling you, listen, Jesus Christ stepped out in John chapter 1, and John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. I never touched Jesus personally with my hand, but I'm telling you right now, I definitely touched him with my wicked heart, and I'm glad he took my filth away from me. He took away our, a church can't do that. A church cannot take away your sin, but Jesus can. Oh, hallelujah. What a Savior. What a friend that he would take away the filth in your life. Can you imagine if your next door neighbor said, came to you today and said, hey, I just want you to know from now on, you don't have to worry about your garbage. I'm going to take it out the rest of the time you live here. You say, why would you do that? Oh, he said, I just want to be a friend to you. I'd say Jesus took a whole lot more than just the garbage away from our life. He took away the filth. What a friend. But not only did he take away our our sins, but he also he took, he took our cares. He took our cares. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You know, a friend is somebody that cares. A friend, the Bible says, is a friend at all times. There's some people, they don't care what you think. They don't care how you feel. They, they don't care about anything. They care about themselves. But Jesus said, I want you to cast all your care upon me because I care about you. You know, sometimes we don't have that many cares in life, but there are other times that our life is full of care. It might be at a time when death is close to your family, or it might be at a time when you have some kind of disease in your family. It might be at a time when you have problems in your own life, and cares just begin to feel. Yet yesterday, I was talking to Brother Milton Taylor. I know he's listening. He told me about the cancer that he has in his blood. 
And then he told me about a second cancer that he's gotten after taking all of those treatments and chemotherapy. And he told me about that and he said, Pastor, he said, I've taken blood platelets, I think he said, upwards 20, 40 times, however many it was. And he said they usually last about four hours or four days rather. He takes the platelets and four days, everything starts going back the other direction to where he gets down in the numbers like sixes and sevens and he's just worn out. And you know, as I listened to him, my heart went out to him because he was telling me that I, I get about four good days and after that it just goes down and gets harder and gets heavier. You know, I'm glad you, hey, are you, listen, you got a friend that's willing to listen to the cares of your heart. You've got somebody that says, bring your cares to me. In fact, I would say this, the best place you can take your cares is to Jesus Christ. You, you, you can take them to Oprah, but she wouldn't know what to do with them. Right. You can take them to a counselor. Many counselors have no idea what to do with all the cares and problems of life. I, not only did he, is he willing to take the cares, he knows how to do something about them. Amen. Casting all your care upon him, the Bible says. For he careth for you. He's a friend because he took our cares. Then I'd say this. Thirdly, he's a friend because he took our sorrows. Isaiah 53.3. The Bible says that he had borne our sorrows. He borne our sorrows. I, I know that um, I probably have mentioned it maybe probably often more than I should, but the sorrow of losing a dad to heaven, though I know where he is, is very difficult. And that's a hard sorrow sometimes to bear. And to, there, there are certain times that that sorrow just comes back. In fact, if you've buried a loved one, if you've buried a mother or a dad, if you've buried a child, if you've, if you've buried a spouse, there are times that that sorrow floods back into your life. Um, at the funeral, um, one of the funerals I did this week, I mentioned about how that I had to, the, the horrible duty to stand at least twice over a casket about this big and a child be on the inside of it. And I had a man, he said, after service was over, he said, can I ask you, can I talk to you just a second? I said, sure. He said, have you ever, have you done those services? I said, I've done, I've done two of them. He said, my best friend just buried his, his little child. And he got, he got tore up right there and he started talking about it. He said, I couldn't listen to another word you said after you said that. No offense, he said, but I just want you to know that it flooded my heart with all the sorrow of standing by that little casket. Listen, and, and the, the, the best friend in the world that puts their arm around you and says, listen, I love you and I care for you, which I think is a good thing to do. You know, sometimes there are no magic words to say. Sometimes there's no special thing that you can put out there to help somebody, but to put an arm around, look, but that friend puts their arm around and says, I love you and I'm here for you and anything I can do for you, I'm here to help. That's all good and, and that's appreciated, but sometimes it can't touch the, the sorrow that's deep down on the inside. Hey, hey, I'm telling you, Jesus Christ bore our sorrows. The deepest sorrow in your heart, in your life, he is a God of all comfort. He knows how to take care of that problem. You know, a lot of times what people do with sorrow, they go find a bottle. They go find a pill. Maybe it's a prescription pill. Maybe it's, maybe it's a pill you get from somebody else. 
but they're trying to numb the inside. They're trying to take and somehow turn all the sorrow off because it hurts too much to look at it. And I'm just saying today, Jesus is a friend because he picked up my sorrow and he picked up your sorrow and he said, I'll carry your sorrow for you. What a Savior. What a friend. What a friend. What a friend. Jesus is also a friend because he took up our weaknesses. You ever feel weak? I'm sure some of you probably don't. If you're young, you probably don't, you probably don't ever feel weak. I'm looking at Joseph. Joseph, you ever feel weak? Be honest. Do you really? Huh, I would never have thought that. You get to be about 15, 20. Jack, you ever feel weak? Do you really? I'm surprised at that. I think I've hit on a problem in our service today. <laughs> Because 18-year-old young men start feeling weak. The rest of us, we got big problems. I'm talking about weakness to where you don't know if you can put another foot in front of the other. Weakness to the point that there's no solution. There's no help. You know, Paul felt that way. And after you get saved, there's a great blessing of having Jesus as a friend when you got weakness. Paul said, Lord, I got this thorn, and if you don't mind, would you take it out? And he said, no, I'm not going to take it out, Paul, but I'll tell you what I will do. My grace will be sufficient for you. So your weakness, I'm going to put my strength into. Hey, you know, before you got saved, you didn't have a friend that could put that kind of strength in you. But after you get saved, you know you got a friend that can give you all the grace that you need. And when you can't take another step, maybe you don't have to. Maybe you just need to fall on to that person that's your friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, and just see how much grace he has. And I'm telling you, God's grace is sufficient, and it's more than what we need. He says, I got enough grace for you. And when I think about Jesus, Jesus taking our sins and our sorrows and our cares and our weaknesses and saying, I'm going to handle that for you. I'm going to tell you what I think we have. We got a great friend in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you told him you appreciate that? Have you told him how much you appreciate a friendship that would carry your filth, that would carry your sorrow, that would carry your weakness? Have you spent any time letting him know, hey, I love you, I appreciate what you've done. Thank you so much for being a friend. Have you done that? How about we stand to our feet? You know what I think would be great to do? If you're saved, just to come and tell the Lord, thank you for being that friend. Thank you for being willing to carry my burden, my filth. Thank you for being willing to carry my weakness, my sorrow. God, God, God. God offers that for a reason because we need that. As these are coming this way, I wonder, the rest of us, if you just stand with your heads bowed for just a moment, how many of you know beyond any shadow of a doubt, like Onesimus, that you're not just a religious person, but you have been put into the family of God by faith. You are a child of God. Would you hold your hand up high?
and put it down. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody that would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm not one of those, but I sure would like to be. Would there be anybody just slip up your hand and say, would you please pray for me? I, I'm not saved. I'm not one of God's children, but I would love to be. Is there anybody like that? Just slip it up and put it down. Anybody in the building? All right, Brother Hobart, why don't you sing a verse of whatever you have there? We got people praying. Lord, thank you for being a friend. Maybe you do the same. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me, my Savior makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior, hallelujah, what a friend, saving, helping, keeping, loving, he is with me to the end. Jesus, what a strength in weakness, let me hide myself in thee. Tried and sometimes failing, he my strength, my victory wins. Hallelujah, what a Savior! Hundred twenty-two of the living hymnal, eight two two. Grab that hymnal right there. Let's go out instead of going out with a prayer. Let's go out singing. Why don't we sing that? Uh, let's sing that third and fourth verse. Hope won't you lead us in that third and fourth verse, eight twenty-two, and let's sing about our friend this morning. Can you do that? Jesus, what a help in sorrow. We could open that door and let the world hear us sing about our friend. But let's sing it anyway. I, I believe heaven's listening. On the fourth verse. Jesus, Jesus. 
what a friend we have in Jesus. Amen? Amen. 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 God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll see you tonight.